Hi, this is Rod Zeeb again for the podcast. And today we have Paul Binion, who's with Hanlon. What's the exact title of your company's name? Hanlon Investment Management. Investment Management. I've known Paul for a long, long time. Um, and uh, what we want to talk about today is some of the changes that have happened in the investment advisory world in the last five, 10 years, whatever, um, and how that's impacting a lot of advisors. This goes consistent with some of the some of the podcasts we have done on the shift uh, from transactional relationships uh, to consultative relationship or purposeful relationship or whatever. So, Paul, how long have you been in the investment? I'm trying to remember when we, got, we first connected, but I think it's the early 2000s. How long have you been in the investment advisory world? Yes, yeah, so I got in, Rod, back in 1988 um, from a, on the retail side, working directly with clients and then got involved on the more the wholesale, working with advisors, professionals back in 1989. So two years, we'll say in the retail side and the rest of my career. So going on 30 plus years. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And in the last few years, a lot's changed. I mean, the things that we used to get paid for, we don't get paid for anyway, the investment advisory services. And, and can you just describe that? I mean, just talk about what you've seen happening in the last few years in, in the industry kind of as a whole, I guess. Yeah. Well, it, it, you know, like technology, it's been transformational. So I remember vividly the eight and a half percent front end load on a mutual fund, and that was acceptable. Um, just like a, a 46 computer was acceptable where it took like 14 years to get it onto the, you know, get loaded up and God help if you want to watch a video. Right. Um, and then we, I remember when I first got involved with my past company, this would have been 1991. And my number one selling uh, duty was to convince someone that fee-based money management was better than transactional. That was, that was, wasn't so much to use me, work with me, like me, which is, it's that today it, uh, everyone does it. Now it's more about where the value is. So we've seen quantum leap changes in the industry, to your point, uh, things such as asset allocation, where you could actually sell that to somebody and they would pay dearly for it. Uh, it's a freebie now, it's a giveaway. Uh, retirement planning is now a freebie, it's a giveaway. You can actually Google it and get 52 websites that will do it for free. Um, so these, these, what used to be all important concepts and conversations are now ancillary and what we call table stakes which has led us to now what? So where are we in the business currently? And it's very much consultative. It's very much an advisor acting as a confidant, as a counselor, um, it requiring a different skill set. The unfortunate thing, Rod, is most of the advisors understand and get it, but they haven't really done much to, edu to educate themselves on it. So it's one thing for me to say, I understand I need to do something. And it's another thing for me to actually do it and be qualified to do it. And that's that's where we see the next evolution is advisors becoming qualified to be financial counselors to people. Yeah. And it's, it really is interesting. Uh, there was a study, couple of studies that we've been working with on why people fire their advisors. And one of them came right after uh, 2008. And it was like 75 and a half percent of them fired their advisors because of lack of relationship, not because of performance. And I think that was a wake up for a lot of people. And they realized this really is about the relationship. It's not, I, no matter how good you are technically, there's probably somebody else that can do it too. Absolutely. We're actually working on a case right now, um, large for us. And the client has told the advisor that the primary motivating reason for the conversation is that they haven't spoken to their advisor in over two years. Right. Okay. Um, this is the kind of case where you would speak to your client typically quarterly. And um, so this is a client actually transitioning. The husband's retired. The wife is working. They've got 
uh, 50% of their estate in one stock. It's <laughs> unqualified. So it's got a, uh, about half of the stock value is unrealized capital gains. Uh, the client's transitioning to an income phase of their life, a distribution phase, as opposed to accumulation. Um, the, the stock only pays a 1% dividend, so it's not paying enough yields. We as a firm don't believe in taking income from stocks personally. It's, mm -hmm. it's fixed income was created. So you got a client actually in transition needing lots and lots of counseling and help and hasn't talked to their current counsel in two years. This is the opportunity. It's also the disconnect. You've got 100 million people, I think it was the number I heard, over the age of 50. Mm -hmm. You've got 70 some million baby boomers born 1964. Um, and older, and they're in this key stage of their life where they're going to transition their money from the accumulation to distribution, and they don't know how to do it. They think they're just going to call up their fund group or whomever and say, "Hey, I, I need a, I need a check. I need a hundred thousand income, two hundred thousand. Turn it on." It it doesn't work that way. Hey, yeah, I just just take out a draw for this much a month every every month, and I'm good, yeah. right? <laughs> and don't 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 bother what it's invested in, even if it's in one stock that basically lost eighty percent of its value in two thousand eight. Right. Yeah, that should be a problem. And and uh, unfortunately, advisors, many of them still are not qualified and not prepared to have these conversations. Some of them actually, ironically, don't don't want to have them at all. They're just they're like, that's not my problem. Um, well, it kind of is. One, the SEC has stepped in and, and told advisors they have a fiduciary responsibility that we always knew was there, but now they're actually going to enforce it. There's a best interest, uh, what they call BIC, best in, uh, uh, interest uh for your client. And it, what it does, it means you have to put your client first. You have to disclose things that typically were not disclosed, cost uh, and things of that nature. If you're going to move someone out of something to something else, you've got to have the client fully, completely aware. So that's part of the evolution. Compliance is actually now part of this evolutionary trend. In the past, it was always there. Um, you couldn't lie, cheat and steal, obviously, but now it's, it's transcended to a much more important thing where you have to be trained and educated and and your and your relationships cannot be to your point transactional they have to be they have to be uh emotional they have to be trust and and uh, confidence driven not product driven or cost driven or performance driven yeah and it's interesting we we were talking we did our studies and stuff and and just from our experience and talking to people and what we found for at least the clients that we work with is the top four things for them were they want to be heard Okay, so they want and they want to be understood. Those are one and two, and those are two different things. I mean, one is to be heard. You know, how much money do you have, and when do you want your kids to have it? Was the old estate planning thing, right? <clears throat> so they were heard, but they weren't understood. So they want to be understood about who they really are because that impacts what they're going to do. I mean, that's you know, and then they want to understand how what you're doing actually gets them what they say they want, and that's a that's a disconnect that a lot of advisors and we didn't do it as estate planning terms. A lot of advisors don't do. Um, it was, it was really interesting when I was a state planning attorney, the American Bar Association, the, uh, uh, what is it? The state planning section did a study this is a long time ago. And they found out that like 68%, some big number like that of all estate plans either weren't signed or weren't maintained, weren't funded, right. Which they thought was a real concern, not because of the clients, but because those were potential malpractice claims, right? So they, you know, yeah, sure. And so they entered with them and they asked you know, why. And basically what the client said was, well, I understood how it was my attorney's state plan, but I didn't understand how it was mine. And that's when you, when you start talking about what the clients are really looking for. They don't want to just know I've got you in this and this is what you're getting. They want to know why and how, and how does that connect with what I, and, and we, I think, give them too much credit for connecting those dots and they don't do it. 
Yeah, there's this uh, concept called con uh, uh, informed consent. It's been around forever, right? But it's actually to a large degree what you're talking about, which is I want to be informed. I don't need to be able to teach a class. That's your job. Right. Uh, I don't need to know all the ins and outs. That's your job. But I need to know everything I need to know. So the, there's this kind of quintessential question we ask in every form of life, it, which is. Um, you don't know what you don't know. So what do I not know that I need to know? I don't need to know everything, right. but I need to know enough to be able to make an informed decision, give me that information. And unfortunately, again, we're kind of back to the lack of training and understanding of that concept. So a lot of advisors, uh, and we consider what it is required to get into this business, the barriers to entry are almost zero. Right. You pass a relatively easy exam and you're good to go. Um, the neat thing about the um, people always talk about the age of the advisor. Uh, we have a very quickly aging advisor base and they see that as a problem. I see that as actually a benefit because when you're 60, you've got a lot more wisdom than when you're 40. You've seen 20 years more of real life. So you can be more informed. You can also be more confident that you don't have to sell everybody you meet. Right. Some clients are right and some clients aren't right. And your job primarily and their job is to is have a, is have a courting dating process that allows you to get engaged, that allows you to eventually marry and marriage is for life. Um, so it, it should secure you. You should meet the kids. You should be involved with the kids. You should be the, um, the trusted advisor, which is a term thrown around all over the place in our business. And I actually look around and I say, I think very few advisors are the trusted advisor. Right. I remember uh, Tom Fowler used to say, the, when I know I'm the trusted advisor is when they call me, when something big happens, even if it has nothing to do with financial things. Absolutely. You know, and, Almost seeking permission. I love the, uh, you know, a client calling uh, one of our partner advisors saying, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a car. Can I, can I afford one? And the client's worth $10 million. Um, the idea of seeking permission is not anything more than a trust level that's so strong that they're not willing to make decisions financially without the, the counsel um, of their prof the, the professionals. And I think that's an amazing um, responsibility. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it has to be earned, um, but it does take this industry to a different level. It takes it to one where these 70 plus million people are going to trust uh, as opposed to being sold something because there's too much selling still going on. Yeah, I remember, uh, well, Jack Brady, who we both knew real well, he did, and one of our trainings got up and he said, so how many of you like to be sold? And nobody raised their hand. He goes, so why are you trying to sell your clients? <laughs> you know, that's I mean, not, not what it is. You know? And he just mentioned uh, something else, and that is getting to know the kids. Hmm. Um, you know, that's a huge thing for two reasons, I think. One is knowing the kids gets you more insight to the parents. Because they have a different view, you know, of, of what's going on. But then the other thing is, if you want to have a you know long-term practice and value your practice, having having the money stay with you is a big deal. Um, it is. I, I I I'll take it from the beginning, um, Rod. I think knowing your children, your your clients' children, is paramount to knowing your your client, as you said earlier. I mean, if you think of the number one asset of most parents. It isn't the money of the business. It's actually the children, mm -hmm. um, because one, children are multi-generational, um, right? Uh, grandkids, kids, grandkids, great grandkids. Secondly, you know, most people who have families have them for a reason, and and so the love of money. In fact, this is one of the uh, things I took away also from the Heritage Institute in the very beginning, which was the house was on fire, 
you're given three minutes to run back in. All human life is is saved, and you know. And so, what do you go in and save? You don't go. You don't save the the securities and the investments. You, you save the pitchers and the heirloom assets. Um, the reality is, the kids are very important. So, if you really want to know the parents, you really should know the kids. And if you're going to have any chance of doing a, a relevant estate plan and certainly a legacy plan, not knowing the relationship is, you, you might as well not even know the client at that point. So, right. and if I don't know the client, how can I make investment decisions? Um, where does life insurance fall in? Should the life insurance have cash value attached to it? Is the life insurance just simply a wealth replacement? Is it an income replacement? Um, it's not, hey, my client is breathing and living. And I think they need insurance and I'll make a lot of money. It's what, what's the intent? And if I don't know the kids, I may know, I may not know the true intent at death. Mm-hmm. Um, and Heritage prepares, Heritage Institute prepares advisors to have these conversations um, better than anyone I've seen in my 30 plus years in the business. Um, and the reality is uh, investments shouldn't be sold. They should be bought. They should be, how do I solve this problem? And these investments were created to solve problems. They weren't created to sell to somebody. Yeah, and that's, uh, you know, back in the day, uh, Ryan and I, my son Ryan and I were, were at a meeting one time and somebody raised their hand and said, how do you sell these people to, you know, to hire you to, to work with families? And before I could respond, Ryan's answer was, we don't sell anything. We just unleash the motivation that already exists in them. Yeah. Ask the right question, find out what they want and, what, and then fall, create the solution. And that's really true for everything. I mean, I don't care what profession you're an advisor in. When you can ask the questions and help the, the clients really say, this is what I want, this is why I want it, and this is what it's worth to me. Now, um, you're not selling anything. You're providing solutions, which is where you should be. Absolutely. Yeah, you guys, um, another thing I picked up, I picked up a lot of stuff from my years with you, Rod. One of the things I picked up was uh, a conversation is indeed that. It's a conversation is two-way. It's a, it's a kind of back and forth. It's engaged. It's mm-hmm. not an inquiry. It's not, certainly it's not an interrogation or an interview. It's an engaged conversation where you're trying to uh, elicit um, responses to perhaps questions that someone's not even asked themselves. Right. Like when you're not here, what's it look like? Or when you dream, what do you dream about? If you won the lottery, which is something you guys use, if you won the lottery and you could do anything you want and money was no longer the object, we took the money off the table. Mm-hmm. what would it look like? What would life look like? And then the thought question, which I think is brilliant is, and so what have you done about that? Cause I can sit here all day and tell you what I would do if I won the lottery, but have I done anything at all towards that? Um, because I certainly won the lottery in, in 30 years of working wages and doing okay. Have you done any of this? Have you put anything in place, anything? In, and most people are like, I haven't. And they're like, because I haven't won the lottery, but you kind of have won the lottery. If you've made a couple hundred grand a year for the past 40 years, you made 8 million bucks, right. whatever, that number, whatever that math is. Yeah. Okay, that's a pretty good lottery. And it didn't look like a lottery, but if you haven't done anything, you're just using that as an excuse. I think the engaged conversation with an engaged um, financial counselor um, with a willing and able participant makes for a very, very interesting uh event and uh, obviously the kids would be brought into that eventually because the parents will want to bring them in my guess is yeah and that's you, you've hit it on a couple of times you've mentioned it, it you got to have the willing client too i mean not every person is the right client for you yeah and you've got to have that mentality at some point that you know when you're having that initial interview it's as much for you to decide if you want to work with them as it is for them to decide if they want to work with you and that's a different mentality and it 
requires different questions. It does. Peter, Peter Montori had a great, a great statement. He said, your, your value proposition should detract as much as it attracts. Right. It should repel as much as it attracts. Um, obviously, you don't want to work with everybody. You don't have the bandwidth, the, the, the ability to work with everybody. So you have to choose uh, who do you want to work with um, and who would find the most value in what you do. We consider a practice, an investment practice, advisory practice with 100 clients as being very robust. When we talk to people, they're like, I have 1,000 clients. You don't have 1,000 clients. You have 100 clients. You have 900 customers. You bought something from you that you probably have very little contact with. Um, so when people are getting more mature in this business, advisors, one of the things we talk about is rather than trying to sell your business, why don't you just try to fine tune it to what it should be? Sell the 900 customers um, or bring in some junior people to run those and work with 100 people who you truly consider to be clients. The ones, and this is where the Pareto principle comes in, the 80-20 mm-hmm. rule, comp, you know, right. you know, 80% of your revenue is not being driven by the 80%, it's being driven by the 20. So figure out who they are, figure out what they are, and then try to, if you want to grow your practice, replicate them. It's real simple. Take your best two, five, 10 clients and just figure out what's, what's unique about them, but what's also um, uniform. What's consistent, them. yeah. And then go find 10, 20, 50 more of those. But anything more than 100 per advisor is probably asking too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this, this is a problem because we come into this business as salespeople because we come in typically young, um, where anything that fogs a mirror is a prospect and oftentimes we, we, we don't change that behavior. And then we end up with a thousand people we do business with. Right. I remember uh, in one of our meetings, somebody said, I've got 5,000 clients. And Jack said, no, you have 5,000 files. <laughs> you, know, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, they're not all clients. A lot of liability because yeah. you are legally liable right. for those. So you may not want to have 5,000 that, that are where 4,500 are making you $12. Right. You may wanna, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think one of the things with wisdom, with age comes wisdom, and with wisdom comes uh, a, a sense of what works, what doesn't. Like a business model with 5,000 people, for most people, isn't going to work unless you make it completely automated. Like the people like, um, uh, I'm trying to think some of the names, um, gentleman in Virginia, whose name skips me, they have created a, a business, an automated business around a process. That's one way of doing business. That's not how we're trying to do business. Um, we don't think someone with affluence is, is going to find much value. They can manage money. They can do it at a relatively cheap price, i.e. Vanguard. Mm-hmm. But these companies aren't, aren't financial counselors. They're not trying to be. They're not structured to be. They're structured to be basically sellers or something and do it in a very, very quick, scalable fashion. Um, so I think a lot of investors get confused with price. They think sometimes the cheapest thing has got to be the best thing because it's the cheapest. Um, it's not. And if you look at the car industry, the cheaper cars are usually the ones that break down the most. Right. Right. And the more expensive cars, the ones with the reputation to charge what they charge are typically the more reliable ones. Not right. always, but most of the time they most are. Most of the time, yeah. Yeah. I think that's the way in our business too. Cheap is not, cheap should not be one of the, it should be a part of the criteria, but it certainly should not be the criteria for deciding life decisions and intergenerational life decisions. So how do you guys with the Hamlin, I mean, your, what's your job? First of all, if I'm the financial advisor, what's your job? <clears throat> so what we are, we, we, we are partners with financial advisors to bring them bandwidth and capabilities and intellect that they may not have access to, or may not even know they need it. Again, you don't know what you don't, right, know. don't know. Yeah. So platforms, what they call TAMPs, turnkey asset management platforms or providers, 
have become the norm. So rather than going to a single strategy uh, and having 42 of those single strategies you have to deal with, you go to a platform, InvestNet's being, is being the biggest, and you pick up all those strategies on one platform. So there is a scalability um, element. The challenge, however, is there is no cooperation. There's no collaboration, okay? Uh, there's no partnership. So what you end up doing is you're cyber shopping. And you're okay. cyber shopping in a universe that you may not know the questions to ask. Because again, you don't know what you don't know. What we do is we act as the advocate. So like the advisor is the advocate for the client family, we're the advocate for the advisor. And we're the ones who are saying, hey, did you ask this? Did you know this? Did you look at that? Did you consider? Um, and we, we charge for that. And we charge what I think is a relatively fair wage for the value being brought. But not everyone needs an advocate. We work with those who do need advocates and we think the clients better serve by having a partner driven relationship than a single advisor trying to cyber shop on their own. Right. Okay. And how long has Hanlon been around? So we've been around for 21 years, um, give or take, but in our current form, uh, probably only less than five years in the current form. I mean, we were a strategist. We were that firm that was becoming obsolete. We brought value. We had we had an ability to manage wealth in a certain discipline, but the reality is most advisors don't have the bandwidth to to have these single uh, institutions they work with. So we transformed about five years ago into into that camp. Okay. And I joined the firm personally uh, almost two years ago, February, and um, kind of we kind of brought more of a kind of a personal heritage institute touch. Uh, work with less, but work deeper. Go deeper, not wider work more intensely with the people, bring value outside of what is the normal perceived value, which is manage money and how and what you charge and do things like talk about legacy and estate. Uh, we talk a lot about insurance. When we're talking to advisors, we talk a lot about insurance, even though we have nothing to do with it. We talk a lot about it because it's a key integral piece of a lot of wealthier people's estates and how they're going right. to pass wealth. Um, so, um, that's what we do. That's the transformation. And, you know, we're only beginning our transformation, Rod. There's so much more. You and I have reconnected recently, and there's, there's a desire on our part to get more of our uh, partner advisors involved with the Heritage Institute, get them to be better listeners, right? Uh, better engaged conversations, um, because it's going to ultimately help us have a better client. Yeah, you know, I, I remember Doug Carter, one of our events was talking about he, you know, he coaches a lot of financial advisors and he did a survey of his, his financial advisors. And what he found was that on average, they generated 50% of their revenue from, I think it was 8.71% of their clients. So it's not 80-20. It was, you know, like, yeah. he, well, he wrote, a, he wrote uh, a book that's, I have about four or five books that I've read that have been um, transformational in my career and clients forever clients forever yeah yeah Yeah. um because as the title uh uh, denotes you know how do you keep a client forever and there's a lot of things um, one of them is one of the primary things excuse me is uh is to have a consultative relationship one of trust and respect and not one of the the cheapest price the best performance and and uh and uh, doug does a very nice job of uh influencing behavior through the book it goes through these stages of sales and the consultative right. sale is not the last, but certainly at the very end. Um, and I found that to be very interesting. In fact, if you haven't, if the listening audience, if you haven't heard it or read it, I would highly suggest it's one of the books you actually pick up and buy and read um, because it is extremely um, apropos to our business, to the advisory business. 
Yeah, I love and one of the quotes that's in there that I, I love is transformation doesn't come from doing things bigger, better, faster, or more of it. It comes from starting from a different place. And that's yeah. where the world is right now. I mean, if you try and just do more of what other people are doing, you're not going to win. I mean, here's another one too. He says, when presentations begin, right. Rev revelation ends. Right. Nobody wants to be sold, to your point earlier. Nobody right. wants to be sold. What they do want is they want informed, uh, intelligent, um, and engaged conversation where you ask, questions many of them as i said earlier in our conversation they have not even thought of themselves but they're very very relevant um because we're not going to be here forever and what's interesting is um there's a book actually success to significance right you know it very right, well right. and the idea is we spend our whole lives trying to be successful and with very little uh, thought about what happens when we arrive at success um it's like we spend all our time running the race but we don't think about what happens when the race is done and that race isn't our whole life. It may be at best, if you run a marathon, if you run a triathlon, it's not going to be more than 24 hours. What do you do with the rest of your life, right? What's, right. Not what's it look like. Right. Yeah, it's, you know, it is, uh, there is a shift that's happening and it's happening now. We've talked about it. The, the baby boomers now are starting to transition their, their lives. I mean, you know, they're going into the retirement stage and that stage, and they're starting to transfer the assets to the next generations down. And that next generation um starting in philanthropy they want to know what the impact is of what they're doing i mean you know they their parents would give money if they wanted to help the community they give it to united way and hope they did a good job well the kids are going no i want to know where my dollar went you know and how did how did it impact and you can't do that unless you know what it is they really want right and and that's yeah. so it really does go back to that whole consultative asking those questions really listening not to respond but listening to understand and then building and rather than walking in with this is what I'm going to sell them and hope that it works, you know, uh, so well, you're seeing this on a very root level, Rod, ESG investing, the environmentally socially conscious governance is is, is a byproduct of, of this generation uh, of the younger generation saying I want I want my money to be used in a more appropriate fashion. Um, how people get take jobs, how long they stay in their careers. Uh, we criticize millennials as having a very uh, short attention span. They don't. They just have a different. Um, a different uh, ecosystem of values that they're, um, and they're going to have a lot of money. They're going to have the largest single wealth transfer, as you know, because you guys talk a right. lot about it at the Heritage Institute. This wealth transfer is going to basically do one of two things. It's either going to be extremely helpful, like it was back with the robber barons, or it's going to be extremely dangerous and detrimental, right? Um, and the idea is, you know, you know, this generation wants to do good with the money. Um, so again, if you've got a client family you're working with and you don't know the kids, you don't know what that looks like. The other thing too is more and more families are not just waiting till they die to pass wealth. Right. They're passing it while they're alive. Now that's the, that could be a 529 plan for grandkids and kids. It could be um, all kinds of different structures, like a family buying life insurance on grandkids and kids because it's cheaper or whatever. If you don't know that, um, you got a problem. Collectibles is an interesting one. We do a lot of work with and have done over the years with Donald D and Rare Coins in New Hampshire. And right. most advisors don't ask their clients about collectibles as far as the financial discovery. And you could have a client who collects, who has a million dollars worth of coins and, and it wasn't part of their balance sheet because it was basically under the, under the radar. And it's you it's not in an account somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, is that, yeah. So what's the intent of that money? Right. So there's so much, we, we have so much room to grow as advisors in this business. And I think you could do it on your own. I mean, we could all do it on our own or we could do it in a collective community, uh, an engaged community. And that's kind of what we advocate. This, that's what the partnership is for us. It's an engaged community 
of like-minded individuals trying to bring a certain amount of value to an audience that needs value being brought to them. It's really all it is, like any other community. Right. Well, that's kind of interesting because every year we we survey our members and say, you know, what's what's the biggest value you get from the Heritage Institute? And every year the answer is the community. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd like to think it's the training, <laughs> but it isn't. It's it's the yeah. community because there's all the collective wisdom that's out there. Sure. Uh, well, it's the same same goes when someone says, "Why do you work with so and so?" And they say, "Because I like and trust them." Right. You like to think because they went to Harvard or they've they've spent thirty years in the business or whatever. But the reality is, it's as simple as that. Um, there's been multiple books written about how we make decisions. In fact, there's a great book called The Power of Habit, which is another one of my favorite reads, which talks about how habits are formed. Power of habit, a habit's formed because it allows the mind to go to rest. You right. have to think every idea from A to Z. Um, and, and, and the reality is these habits are, are, are important. People make decisions typically, and this is a Simon Sinek, start with why. Another um, very, very good read about how we make decisions, if they're emotionally based and whatnot, versus if they're, if they're uh, more um, data-based. Right. And the longer decisions, typically the ones emotionally driven. Why'd you, why'd you do business with this person, give them $10 million of your money? Because I trust them and like them, not because right. they went to a certain school, they have a certain fee structure. And I think that's gotten lost to some degree in our business, the advisory business, because a lot of people are like, well, whoever can do it cheapest gets the business. I don't think that's the answer. No, and, and like I said, the re- most recent uh, studies are the reason people fire their advisors because they don't have the relationship. It isn't because of the performance. And, and you, you just hit this uh, nail, nail on the head early on when we started this conversation. One of the studies was 72% of their, the people that fired their advisors said because they hadn't talked to them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, I actually mentioned that. I was mentioning this case to another advisor without mentioning any names. And I said, you know, it's X dollars and whatnot. And they said, that can't be right. There's no way. And I said, yeah, you'd be surprised. Some of the larger firms with more money uh, tend to take those people for granted. And that's another whole concept right. that human, that's a human dilemma is taking things for granted. We take love for granted. We take people we like. We don't say thank you enough. There's a lot of things. And we don't because we're just, I guess we don't have the bandwidth. We don't have the, the wherewithal because we're so busy being bombarded with stuff that we kind of forget the basics. Please right. and thank you. Look them in the eye, shake hands. Um, stuff that parents want to teach their children. Well, I think to some degree we've lost that in the business sense that we've kind of forgot how people make decisions. They make them because they look at you and believe that you can bring them value. And then they trust that the value you're bringing is going to be good for them. That doesn't get earned overnight. That's why referrals and more importantly, introductions are so important because when I'm introduced to somebody, when we were um, introducing advisors to the Heritage Institute, they weren't asking me really what it costs. They, they were like, okay, kind of like good enough for me because you believe in it. In other words, we've done all the due diligence. That means right. I don't have to do it. Mr. Advisor doesn't have to do that. We live in a world where nobody wants to do due diligence. We just want other people to have done it for us that we trust. So the so one transformational thing that's happened in this business is the referral and the introduction has become so important. It's become paramount because we just don't want to spend time, even though ironically the technology is providing information at our fingertips, we just don't want to go in there. And now some of us don't even trust, we don't trust the news we're getting. So right. even though we're reading it, we're not sure if that's a credible source. That's the problem with the internet to some degree. When someone gets their kitchen done and you walk in at, to a party, you're like, this is gorgeous. I love it. What did, did you like the contract? And like, we loved him. They were, they, he was great. You say no more. Right. You don't go on Angie's list, no offense to Angie's list, and start looking. You just say, okay, 
good enough for me. Can you, if you get one more, two more references, you're good to go. And I think that's the way business is being done nowadays with this very, very busy audience. Well, when you think about it, especially as you get up, you know, the, the more fluent the client, the more this is true. They trust each other way more than they trust any of us, any of the advisors. And so when their friend says, I worked with Paul, he's great. You should talk to him. He'll talk to you. I mean, that's, you know, that's where it comes from. And like you said, that's, that's their due diligence that somebody else has done the due diligence and actually, you know, worked with the person and knows what they're doing. You know, what's really ironic, Rod, about that is that's the way business was done back before we had technology, before when someone would come in and, you know, and say, you know, who did this? And it's like, you know, and we couldn't research it because the internet, I mean, the, let's face it, the internet didn't right. exist 30 years ago, right? I right. mean, when I was in high school, there was no technology like this per se. So you took, what's ironic is with the bombardment of information and the, and the absolute unbelievable speed of technology, we've kind of seemed to have gone back mm -hmm. to the old days, which is like, well, what do you think? What do you right. know? Tell me. Um, because we don't want to research. We want to spend our free time doing other things. And by the way, as we get older, that just basically becomes more and more true. Right. Right. You, you start to realize that time is the most important asset. And I don't want to waste my time on the internet researching who to work with. Right. When I can talk to my friend and they can say either yes or no. Yeah. Over Ooh. lunch. Boom. Done. Right. Yeah. Oh. So how do people get a hold of you if they want to know more information about what you guys are doing uh, once we get this posted on the website? Yeah, so uh, we're really easy to find. Uh, our website is uh, handlin.com, so okay. www.handlin.com. Um, my email address I, uh, is team, T-E-A-M, Binion, my last name, B-I-N-N-I-O-N, at handlin.com. Um, those are two, two good starting places. Our um, phone number, uh, we have a bunch of phone numbers. I won't throw the phone number out. Yeah. Um, but uh, you can certainly get our phone number. In fact, why don't I give you the phone number? Um, it's 888-641-7100 is our general number. Um, and we're in the Eastern time zone. Um, so, uh, but if you're calling before or after hours, we certainly will get back to you. Yeah, that's, that's become, uh, you know, I, I was in Oregon for years, you know, on the Western time zone, Pacific time zone, and now I'm in the Eastern time zone. That does make a difference <laughs> when you're calling from one generation or one, one time zone to the next. This well, is that, you know, we live in a, we live in a world too, where people expect somewhat immediate responses to questions. Right. So you can't be like, Oh, we're, we we're open from nine to five Eastern standard time. And I'm calling from California. I'm thinking like, I'm going to miss almost your entire business day. Right. Um, so obviously one of the things we pride ourselves on, uh, and I do personally is the ability to respond. And I don't just mean as a value proposition statement. I mean, as a practical, real example, practice over the last 30 some years, um, when people call, they, there's a reason they're calling. They want to talk to you. And while I can't talk to you necessarily at midnight, um, the ability to take a message and get back to someone in, in quick fashion, the cell phone, by the way, has given us that ability, right. um, is important because they wouldn't be calling you if it wasn't important. If it wasn't important, they'd probably be emailing you expecting an answer the next day. Right. Phone calls are different. Uh, texts are, text messages are different. So I think that, uh, that uh, goes without saying when we're working in this world of high, um, high net worth clients and advisors who serve them, the need to be responsive is uh, probably has increased dramatically over what it used to be oh yeah and like you said earlier i mean for those clients the money is not the big issue the time is the big issue i mean that's their that means more to them and if they are taking the time to call you there's a like you said there's a reason yeah, uh, absolutely so all right well thank you very much for this and hopefully those of you who are listening got something out of this 
uh, look at the rest of our podcast or listen to the rest of our podcasts that are online and look for our next ones. Thank you very much. Thanks, Rob.